There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Welcome back to another episode of Gear Talk. I'm here, Giannis Patelis, with my co-host, Jordan Budd. Jordan, I don't know how it is for you right now, but here in Bozeman, Montana, it's negative 10 and blowing a gale. Not a nice day to be outside. No, man. Uh, Boise is pretty nice, actually. It's uh, basically springtime here. You wind down towards the end of February and it starts getting real nice. Like no snow on the ground. It's getting starting to get kind of patchy in the trees. Like little treetops are starting to stick up, and you got to start being careful. But uh, yeah, I hear it's. Wow. I mean, like Nebraska, where the ranch is, man, they've been getting hammered since the middle of December. Yeah, I've been hearing that from my buddy that's over there in the Pine Ridge too, and uh, he says it's 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 deep, and it's been a real winter this year. Yeah, yeah, my dad's like, from my predictions, we're going to have uh, snow drifts in May, so. Well, you know what? I'd rather have snow drifts and in May and have the snow now in February rather than get a blizzard in May. Once May's here, I want it to be springtime and looking in, into summer. I don't want to deal with shoveling snow anymore in May, but I'll shovel snow yeah. in February. Yeah, I don't blame you. What else you been up to? Oh man, um, just been hiking, been trying a bunch of new packs, which has been really fun. Um, some new boots. Uh, it's been fun, like just going out and looking at deer and elk and stuff on the winter range. I like just like hitting hiking trails and then like glassing for them. It's fun to just watch them, you know, and observe animals and such. Uh, been shooting some new content for some new first light items that have been coming out. The uh, the new furnace hoodie just launched that you and I both been wearing for probably it's been a couple years now I I had that thing when uh, Steve came out really yeah you must have had like one of the first ones 
Yeah, so that thing just came out with a new color, Terra. So I've been out shooting some content um, with that, and I've been trying to get into the snow to like show off some of this new stuff coming out for late season. And mm. it's been kind of hard to find snow falling. It looks really nice outside in <laughs> all my pictures. Um, man, I was it was funny. Well, it was kind of not funny at the time, but I was out the other day and I drove up this road that's like, you know, it's typical springtime, like things are starting to melt and seem like maybe they're, the roads are better than they are, but there's still some snow around. So I like pushed it a little bit, went down this road that I probably shouldn't have went down. And by the time I was like, eh, I think I should turn around. I got to a trailhead and the parking lot was full of snow, but some other people had turned around in it. And I actually got out and went and like walked out in it and it seemed pretty powdery to me. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to give her hell. And I went to turn around and like it had snowed, you know, it was just like snow on top of snow on top of snow. So there's like super hard spots and then there's spots that are like powder. And <clears throat> I mm-hmm. went around and hit one of those hard spots and pff, yeah, right. Like I've got good tires on my pickup too. And like I was just spinning. So I shoveled myself out a couple times, made it a little ways and I just kept hitting hard snow. And, uh, in the parking lot, there's this nice big uh, Forest Service sign, <laughs> and it has huge, like, po- you know, they're like corner posts, like really big posts. I was like, you know, mm-hmm. I have a winch on my pickup, and I could probably reach it from here. So I had a toe strap. I put it around the bottom of the sign posts, and I hooked it to my winch. <laughs> Dude, winched myself right out of that thing. It was like the best. I thought this thing just paid for itself. Yeah, all it takes is getting unstuck one time with your gear, whatever it is, whether it's a winch, chains, those traction boards, a shovel that just seems to just take up room in the back of the truck. When you're in that moment, uh, it is so worthwhile. But uh, I'm impressed at that sign. I yeah. thought the story was going to go that you tore down the Forest Service sign. Now you owed uh, the U.S. government and all of us taxpayers a little bit of money. No, I uh, I had this thought of... If it broke, it was going to, like, come flying back through my windshield. Like, that did cross my mind one time, but I'm like, well, I'm, like, way back here. I don't have service. I have my inReach, but, like, Leah's at work and can't leave till the evening if she could even, you know, come Mm -hmm. get me. So, it was kind of trying that or just sitting there for a while. But, gosh, I just, like, I would dig out make it just a little ways. And like, I wasn't even like, nothing was really like touch, touching the pumpkin or anything. It was just like that hard snow gets so packed down and it's basically like ice. You just like can't move. Yeah. So frustrating. Do you carry chains? Dude, I, no, I didn't. Usually I do. I didn't this year. Usually you can like go to Les Schwab and get a set of chains. And then if you don't use them, you can take them back. Um, Really? Like at summer or whatever. But I just didn't do that this year because I was like, oh, I mean, all of our hunts are pretty much, all of our hunts are over. So I didn't do that. And I should have, clearly. Oh, yeah. Man, I, I remember even at the beginning of this line hunting season in December sometime, I was like, you know, it's probably a good idea to throw the chains in. And it wasn't a week later. I wasn't even line hunting. I was just going to take the trash out. I have my daughter in the truck with me and it just happens where we drop our trash is there's some dumpsters that we pay for and it's a ways from the house and the area by it like the parking lot 
I, I don't know who maintains it. I don't know what the deal is over there. But anyways, it was you could I could see ahead of me someone it had just snowed a bunch. It was like one of our big first storms. Like, and I could see tracks ahead of me. I'm like, well, someone else drove in here. I can get in and out, you know. And I just started, you know, kind of going. And then as soon as I got past the last driveway and kind of got into this more parking lot zone, it's got a little slope to it. And all of a sudden, my daughter's like, why are we moving sideways? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Like, as soon as my wheel stops spinning, we're going to be stuck. So I hope you got something to uh, occupy your mind while I uh, dig ourselves out. And it was literally... Like I said, a week after I had decided to put chains in and the shovel. And I tell you what, it's kind of amazing because I was in, it was solid knee deep, you know, 18 inches or more bogged, just completely bogged down. You could have shoveled a path all the way back to the stuff that had been packed down, but that would have taken me hours. Um, And even getting another rig in there to pull me would have been tricky. But I threw those chains on my rear wheels and... It was no big deal. It just turns your truck into like a little tank and just jam it and it goes slow, but it just, you know, and, and pushed right out of there. We dumped our trash and then we were, had to take the chains off and we were on our way. But yeah, multiple times this line hunting season, I want to say I've chained up because I've been stuck, I don't know, half dozen times. A lot of times I'm pulling my trailer with my snowmobile and it gets a little extra sticky because you're not just trying to get your truck unstuck. You also have to do that and then pull your, uh, you know, trailer out of there, which it's not super heavy because, you know, the snowmobile doesn't weigh that much, but mm-hmm. um, it's heavy enough where I can't pick up the tongue by myself um, on that trailer, you know. But anyways, I've been meaning to pick up some of those traction boards too. I haven't um, tried those. Yeah, those seem like a, especially if it's just a, short spot that you're stuck in where you don't have to get far to get back onto level ground or dry ground or whatever it is like chains take a little a a minute you know but if you could just jam Mm -hmm. a traction board in there one on each side and then make it the three feet and then maybe reposition them and do it again and all of a sudden you're out and you just throw those traction boards back in and i think it could be just a little bit faster but uh, my new bumper on my tundra I put a uh, coastal off-road bumper on there after I smacked the last time I smashed Ooh. a deer. I just decided to go big bumper yeah. that would hopefully protect my headlights the next time I hit a deer. And uh, it's got a spot for a winch. And uh, you maybe just have just talked me into it. Okay, hey, before we uh, go on, I got a question about the furnace hoodie. Where are you finding use for that thing in your uh, outdoor life? For like a hunting application, um, I use it a ton when I was guiding in Nebraska because it's like, uh, it's basically for me, it would replace like the Klamath hoodie um, or something like that. It's definitely warmer Mm. than like a Klamath. So like a mid-layer for Midwest type hunting where you're like in and out of the vehicle a lot. Um, It's super cold temperatures like we were dealing with late November, December, like cold wind, like snow. That's where I've seen like the most application for it. I think like during turkey season, it's going to be an option for me too as a mid layer, um, where I'm not moving as fast usually. But yeah, yeah, as fast or as far, I think that's uh, uh, that's the place for that thing, right? Because it's mm-hmm. just it is so warm that you if you're planning on hiking, you know, even close to a mile, I think that yeah, for static type hunting and in cold Tree conditions, stands. but you're in yeah. and out. 
yeah, tree stands in and out of the truck a lot, you know, getting dropped off at a tree stand or a blind where you're not going to, you know, get too, too heated up. Uh, that's where that piece is really going to shine. And obviously that hood uh, is as thick as the rest of it. So you throw it on and covers your neck, gets the breeze off your neck, and it's like having a loose beanie on your head insulating you. So, Yeah, it's got those couple little buttons that like can uh-huh. tighten up around your collar a little bit. Um, I thought those are nice. I've seen a couple comments of people wondering about that, but... Um, I've liked that better than like having, you know, on a regular hoodie, having the danglies down. Oh, yeah. The first thing I do when I get a new hoodie is I pull the string out. Yeah. Get it out of there. Okay. Um, last, ep- no, two episodes ago, we had Heidi Allen from Nick Wax on. We talked about uh, DWR, how to get your DWR back in action. Basically just had it. We talked gear care, garment care. Uh, we also talked about how to care for your boots and get the most out of it. Um, I hope that most of you now listening are washing your, at least your outerwear more often than you did. Um, but quite a few people wrote in asking if the TX direct wash in uh, type uh, DWR uh, revitalizers if they do that to the outside, are they then not also putting that same sort of coating or or layer on the inside of your jacket, which would then diminish or inhibit the breathability of the jacket? It's a great question. I should have thought about should have thought of it during the podcast. Heidi responded and says it does not affect the breathability. The water-repellent elastomers cling to the fibers that can absorb water, i.e. won't coat the inside or clog up the membrane. She goes on to say, the only time I would say not to use a wash-in waterproofer is if the garment has a moisture-wicking liner. You wouldn't want to waterproof that, or it would repel instead of wick. So if your garment has a, a fleecy, liner right so probably a lot of soft shells um even though there's dwr on the outside they have like a fleecy garment on the inside that's that's supposed to help wick you know moisture away from you right that's not something that you want to do with a with like a wash-in product you just want to spray the outside um so hope that uh answers that question for everybody yep next up yeah we're gonna roll through some listener questions yeah, what's the first one? Uh, so this is from Instagram. Uh, Kerr's Parts Unknown says, are red dots worth the upgrade from a bead or true glow style barrel sight? This is all Yanni. Because you haven't used a red dot yet. No, I haven't. No, 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 shotgun. Um, I absolutely love it, but there's a, uh, a caveat or maybe a little explaining I need to do because there's some that I like better than others. I ran the Vortex Venom for two full seasons, maybe even three, at least the 2020 and 2021 turkey season. I was running Vortex Venom, and it's a very open red dot, small, low profile. It literally just looks like a one inch by one inch. This is a very simple uh, description, but a one inch by one inch glass plate. It's vertical. There's a projection of a red dot on there. Um, 
it, it, I like it because it's a very open field of view, you, and the and the frame around the glass is not thick, so you, you don't lose sort of any like peripheral vision. Like when you're looking down through it or around it, it's very easy to stay on top of the turkey. Um, you're not losing anything. Last year, I went to the Spark Solar, which reason I wanted to try it is because the battery life, I think, is something like five times longer. I think that the Venom is approximately 30,000 hours and the Spark Solar is 150,000 hours because when it is available, it'll use solar power. It doesn't charge your battery, but if solar, if sun is available, it'll basically use that to run the red dot. So you're just extending the life of the battery that much more. Like I said, fivefold. Great idea because there was the one drawback with the red dot is if you don't stay on top of it and don't change. If you change your battery at the beginning of every season, no matter how many turkey hunts you go on, turkey hunting that season, if you hunted every day, I don't think you'd ever wear out a, a set of batteries. So that's my program now. Turkey hunting season is about to start. I'm just going to throw in some fresh batteries. I'll be good. One time, I, I, I seriously, even that morning, I had checked it. It was still working. It was good. My wife and I got into a mid-morning, late-morning gobbler, and I was trying to get her to shoot it. It just didn't happen. The turkey didn't come out where we thought it was going to come out. I had the opportunity, and I drew on it, and no red dot. I'm, I panic and I press buttons, no red dot, no red dot. And eventually I couldn't take it. I thought, well, I'll just center his head in this little, in my frame and pull the trigger. Nope. Missed him. <laughs> he, he flew, flew away. So there are, there are drawbacks like that, right? If you mess up and your batteries aren't fresh, you could have that happen to you. Um, back to the spark solar, that thing sits higher off of the receiver than the Vortex Venom. Um, we all know with shotguns, when you're aiming at a turkey, if, you, if you're if you not down on your stock and bearing down and, and looking down, this is, especially if you're just shooting a regular bead, if you're not looking right down the plane of your rib, it's very easy to shoot over the top of a turkey. Well, the Spark Solar, it's, it sits high enough where when I was getting down I put my cheek on my stock, I couldn't even see through the scope. So I had to really lift my face off of the stock to look, be able to look through the scope. I could have built something on my stock to lift it up a little bit to get better cheek weld. Never got around to it. So it could be my fault. But one thing I noticed, and again, I, it cost me, I still got this bird, but I missed him one time because I had already hit him. He was injured, and I was walking up to him. I see him at, I don't know, it's less than 10 yards, and he's kind of over this little berm. I can just see his head and neck, and it's like a dusty dirt kind of berm right underneath the barbed wire fence. And I'm thinking, well, that's perfect because I can just shoot, and you know, even though I'm at close range, I, there's zero way I'm going to get any pellets into his body you know, or, or his breast meat. I touch off a huge dust cloud. Poof! You know, goes up in the air, the wind slowly pushes it out, and the turkey's head is still there. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> Later, thinking about it, because I know for a fact, I mean, he wasn't going anywhere. I drew a nice, fine bead. And my guess is that the, the path of the um, shot had not yet reached my aiming point by the time it got to the turkey. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like... 
had it been on a target, same thing. Even though my my red dot would have been spot on in the middle, the shot hadn't crossed the the plane or the path of that red dot. It's not a path. It's, it's just the aiming point. But the shot hadn't risen up. even Because I had shot it plenty on paper. I mean, I knew that at 25, 35, 45 yards, it, it was you know, smack on. But basically that shot, when you're, when your sight and your uh, barrel, the farther they are apart, you know, it takes a bit of travel for the bullet to come up and actually hit the same spot where the red dot's aiming. So I hit low and I missed it. it could, that, that's one example of last year. It could be coincidence, but I had a tough time shooting turkeys last year. I still got my five or six or whatever it was, but I just felt like one after another, I was like, golly, like how come I didn't just crush him, you know, or I just had these instances where I was like, I can do better than this. This isn't, this isn't my normal self. And I don't know if it was because I just wasn't, you know, my cheek wasn't down on the stock and I wasn't just getting like a good solid, you know, placement. I was kind of floating around. Anyways, I'm going back to the Venom this year. Um, as far as pros go for the red dot, man, it, it kind of takes away the necessity to have to be down on your gun, right? Mm-hmm. I know I just said that that caused me some problems, but you can test it. Anywhere that red dot is is pointing, if you're looking, if you can see the dot, it doesn't matter what kind of crazy position you found yourself in. One eye open, both eyes open, you know, way off the side of your gun, you flip and decide to shoot left-handed because the turkey came in on your on the wrong side, whatever it is. As long as you can see the red dot and the red dot is on your target and you pull the trigger, you ought to hit what you're aiming at. I mean, that's how it works. You don't have to be, it's not like a traditional bead and rib where you have to be down on it and leveling that uh, ramp and then holding that bead right on top of it. You don't have to, you don't, it doesn't have to be like that anymore. Um, so I feel like it, it's, it allowed me when I was a little bit more comfortable shooting that, that venom, it just target acquisition is, is a little bit faster. It's just, like I said, the whole picture is there. Um, you can see it all very clearly. It's very easy to put that red dot onto your target. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge fan. I'm gonna be hunting hunting with it this year. Um, so yes, I do think it's worth it. One other thing I like about it: a lot of times on a standard, just a beaded shotgun, right? There's no rear sight. Mm-hmm. It's just a you know, pick any shotgun. There's a single bead on it, and to aim that bead with a, you know, to to pattern it or to shoot it accurately with a turkey load, you look down the vent vented rib you make a real flat plane and then that bead sits on top of it and you basically put put that bead just under the bullseye that way you can still it's called a six o'clock hold that way you can still see what you're aiming at if you're trying different turkey loads and different chokes and whatever you or let's just say you go and buy one turkey choke and you buy a a turkey load you come back home, you start shooting it, and if you aim it just like that, also, and maybe your pattern's hitting low and left by eight or ten inches at, at forty yards, H- happens often. Uh, I've done enough mm-hmm. patterning of turkey loads to see that it can be off. Well, with the traditional bead and, and vented rib, you, there's no adjustment. Mm-hmm. 
there's nothing you can there's nothing you can do other than try different loads or different chokes or the combination of the um, red dot would allow you to just adjust the red dot position to dead center just like you're just like you'd be adjusting a, a you know a scope for a rifle and you know put yourself dead dead nuts on bullseye so th- that's a huge plus for me because you know just depending on how picky your shotgun might be or the choke is uh it could take you you know especially with the price of ammo these days it could take you hundreds of dollars to get dialed in where if you had this couple hundred dollar red dot sight it's like you shoot once or twice and you're like oh i'm low left you would just adjust the sight and you're spot on Mm -hmm. that's where i see like the big advantage with it um i got a new shotgun for ducks this year and dude i was having a hell of a time i kept shooting under them and I'm like, what mm. in the hell? And I think some of it is I, uh, through high school, I shot trap shooting. And in my trap gun, I have a rear bead, front bead. And the way you do that is you stack one on top of the other, and then your clay is supposed to be above that. I think I was so used to that. I was just shooting, kept shooting under them because I wanted to see it. And I think my shotgun's patterning low. And so I have to like completely cover the bird up when I shoot to hit it. Mm. And so just like from Turkey, from a Turkey standpoint, I feel like me throwing a red dot on that, it would let me, I could just sight it in kind of like a gun. And then I wouldn't have to worry about it guessing. I've never shot a waterfowl with a red dot. You just ask a shotgunner if that's okay or not. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, if it works for you, why not? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I want to. We have another question. I want to roll through it real quick because we got it a ton. Um, what calls do you suggest getting for a beginner? I'm a new hunter, and there are so many options. That is from Megan Timmers on Instagram. Um, I would say one for me would be like crow call for uh, locating. I used to locate just with a regular call, and that bit me a few times. Um, so I got a crow call, and then I think like a slate or a box call as far as like a hand call goes. I personally like the sound of a slate over a box. Um, and then like after that, if you, I feel like a diaphragm calls, I usually just get a three pack. Um, like I think right now I just have like the meat eater Phelps three pack. It's like a good range of sounds. And also sometimes like, you know, your call Yanni I might have to, it might just not fit me very well as far as like how much air you got to blow through it or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think it's just different for everybody. So being able to kind of pick and choose those. Um, And then like, but I think as far as a diaphragm call goes, if you've never used a diaphragm call, like I don't think you have to use one. Um, And if you don't want to, if you do want to, Phelps makes one's called an easy clucker. That's just like simple, clean, easy to use. Um, to be honest with you, I posted like a couple days ago, I posted a reel of Leah shooting a turkey with uh, her bow. And I called, I got in a pissing match with that hen and got her to pull the whole group to us. And I did that um, with an amp elk reed. So like mm. there's there's options, I guess, as far as diaphragm calls go. But that's what I would do. I would keep it simple. I would get like a slate 
um, or a box, kind of whatever, and then get a few different reads. But um, I don't know. Keep it simple. It's very easy to go overboard with turkey calls. And as uh, Megan mentioned, there's just so many options. I was just this last week and I was at the National Wild Turkey Federation annual convention. Yeah. And it's insane the amount of calls that are, are available to you there. I would say, this is from my personal experience, and mostly mm-hmm. I use my wife as the example of this, but the first time she ever went solo turkey hunting, I literally just sent her out with a cheap $15, $20 slate and a couple of pegs, and she got into a couple, um, you know, setups with gobblers, and 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 I don't. She hadn't spent more than twenty minutes practicing on this slate. So I, I feel out of all the friction, I mean, you do have those calls that are like I think they're called cackle boxes or something like that, where you literally just push a little peg, and mm-hmm. there's some sort of thing that creates friction on the inside and it makes a yelp. You can go that route. That's probably the easiest. But I think a slate call is not that much harder. Another thing I'll say too, why pot versus box is I got to watch some of the Grand National Championships for calling at, at this convention. I didn't get to stay for all of it, but I think I was told that not a single competitor uses a box call. They all use pot calls, uh, whether it's slate, crystal, because you can just get that much more realistic with that call versus the box. Um, one last thing on the uh, on the reads, spend the money on good reads, whether it's Phelps, Woodhaven, there's uh, I can't there's so many good custom calls mm-hmm. out there that are made here in the United States that are being stretched and made by people that know how to do this. And so the quality control is so much better than if you go with I'm not going to mention any names, but like the really big box store type brands, because they're not being made here, they're being made in uh, factories, wherever, somewhere overseas, the, they're just not being hand-tuned, hand-stretched, and, and just dialed in as much. As an elk hunter, as an elk hunting guide, I used to sometimes buy 20 calls in August and start rotating them through just to get four or five good ones. Um, I would just say, yeah, don't be afraid to to spend the extra. I mean, it's literally a dollar mm-hmm. or two more from getting the super quality stuff versus something that's um, just not as consistent. Like you'll you'll still get good calls from these bigger companies, but not everyone is good. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with the smaller call companies, you can trust them more that everyone should be good. Yeah, got it. Good, good points. Um, sweet. Thanks everybody for the questions. If you have a question you'd like to send in on anything, send it to gear talk at themeateater.com and we'll try to get an answer for you or our Instagrams, I suppose. Um, sweet. Take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about Giannis's turkey gear list. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. 
They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. All right, we are going to go through Yanni's uh, turkey gear list. Turkey season's coming right up. And uh, yeah, what do you have coming up for, for turkeys? Um, Actually... Maybe even by the time this airs, I'll be in Florida hunting an Osceola turkey with my buddy Steve Ranella. He and I have been putting in, I think it took us four years to draw these tags. Now, you can buy plenty of over-the-counter uh, turkey tags in Florida, but they have certain WMAs, and uh, I'm not. someone else is helping us out with this, so I haven't dove in. I don't know all of the details, mm-hmm. but... Basically, the gist of it is is that we have a zone that we can hunt that we applied for four years to get. We're going to be able to hunt there, and there's going to be other hunters, but much, many less, much less pressure. And for me, I'm traveling from Montana to Florida. It was totally worth it to apply, wait, and get this better opportunity um, than to you know just go down there three years ago on the over-the-counter and maybe just get frustrated and and have so much more pressure to deal with. So I'm stoked on the opportunity to get an Osceola. Um, I'm not a huge slam collector type of person, but I do like the idea of every spring, just because I like to travel and see new places, like going to a new state to try to hunt a turkey, right? And even if I didn't kill one in 49 states, if I could say that I hunted turkeys in 49 states by the time I uh, die... Like that's a pretty cool thing, you know. It's it's what's great about turkey hunting is that it is available in forty nine states, which makes it available to just about everybody. Um, mm-hmm. I know that 
it's hard to get into turkey hunting because there is all this stuff, calling, gear, yada, yada, yada. Um, so there is that barrier. But I think it's cool how there's a very low barrier in the fact that uh, most people, I would say, don't even have to drive more than an hour, maybe two, mm-hmm. to find a turkey. That's my only out-of-state. Uh, I think other than that, I'll be pretty much hunting uh, Montana. Sweet. Let's uh, Yeah, let's get into your list. Um so first thing, like vest or backpack, like the million dollar question for a lot of people. Yep. I used to be backpack only guy. And that's because I think I was just a, a Western backpack type hunter. Always. It was just easy because that's what I had. So I just figured, well, if I'm going to go turkey hunting, I'll just throw my stuff in my backpack. Because I like a butt pad. I like a butt pad that's attached to me. That's e- easily deployable. I've definitely started going more and more vest. Um, it keeps everything organized. Uh, I know where everything's at. Most turkey hunts are a couple hour hunts, let alone what you would call a full day hunt. These days, I think the only reason I would really go with the backpack and say, oh, I need that is because I'm thinking, okay, I am for sure hiking five miles before I even get to the turkeys. I need to carry all this stuff. I know I'm carrying lunch. There's might be inclement weather. I need to carry extra gear for that. I really got to be prepared and I want the comfort of a backpack to carry that load because the the big downfall is when you load down a turkey vest, you're going to feel that weight on your shoulders after a couple miles, right? Um, But again, I've become a vest guy because I've realized that I can, even if I'm going, we have a spot that we hunt that it it is probably two miles each direction uh, to go get to these turkeys. But it's very worth it because every time we walk in there, somebody kills a gobbler. At least we get a shot at a gobbler. Um, And even that hunt, I can pack enough water, you know, a couple liters and pack a decoy if I want in my vest. And sure, I'm a little bit overloaded. But again, when the hunt starts and I'm running and going and I need to plop down real quick um, and start working a bird, I sure do like having that butt pad to sit down on. And I like having all my calls organized. I know where everything is. It's there. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you used a chest rig? I have. Um, In general, like I obviously I love carrying my binoculars in a in in a bino harness. Mm Mm-hmm. Turkey hunting, yeah, just it, it wasn't for me. Um, some people love it mm-hmm. for, for the minimalist approach. Yeah, yeah, I'm one of those for sure. Uh, especially in and out of the vehicle a lot. Our hunts are so short, and a lot of times I'm guiding, so it's just kind of a, I don't have as much stuff to carry. So, um, yeah, it's been a good option for me. Um, are you a decoy guy? Uh, yes and no. Yeah, yeah, I'm one of those for sure. Uh, especially in and out of the vehicle a lot, our hunts are so short. And a lot of times I'm guiding, so it's just kind of a, I don't have as much stuff to carry. So, um, yeah, it's been a good option for me. Um, are you a decoy guy? Uh, yes and no. I got a lot of thoughts on decoys. They work. <laughs> Not all the time, but they work. But a lot of times when if I'm just purely running solo, I'm probably going to leave all decoys behind and just say, I'm either going to fool you with my call or I'm not going to get you. And mm-hmm. that's what it's going to come down to. 
Now, if I'm back in the Midwest and I'm limited to, you know, a hundred acre, two hundred acres of, of of farm that I can hunt, you I know I'm not going to walk that far. So why not have them with me? You don't have to set them out, but you can, right? Um, and a lot of times, you know, on those farms, you're hunting bigger fields, so you still have to call them into at least the range where they can see the decoy. And then after that, once they see the decoy, if it's going to work, the decoy kind of takes over, right? You don't have to call mm-hmm. at all anymore. They've seen the decoy. It's it's made them think something, and they're going to come in either to breed it, to fight it, to, you know, show off to it, whatever it might be. Um, so, or they're going to run yeah. away. Like when I got... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or one at a one time every season, they're just gonna about face and be like, "Yep, seen that one already," and and take off. So, um, yeah, that that's that's my. I have you know what I have that I'm gonna try this year is I have some collapsible, full on fold up collapsible decoys from Montana decoy, uh-huh. and they're actually 3D. They're not 2D silhouette type decoys with the picture. They're actually 3D, and they have what seems to be like some sort of a spring on the inside and uh, they sit on a stake, you know, just like a, a other, other decoys, but uh, much smaller, much easier to pack. So I'm, I'm definitely going to put some of those t- to use when you see them compared to a Dave Smith decoy. They're not, it's just not the same thing mm-hmm. at all. But again, sometimes in Montana, we're hunting birds that have maybe never seen a decoy. And so, you know, anything might work. Yeah, so they just need to see. I'm gonna try those. Exactly. Yeah, or they see the red head, or they see that you know shine glimmer of the turkey's feathers, whatever it is. But it's enough to to tip them. Sweet. What about uh, clothing wise? What do you What are you thinking? Like, Florida's gonna be like hotter than hell. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I thought that since we're going first of March. I was expecting 70s max. Well, no, like it's still too far out to actually see the day that we mm-hmm. get there. But right now, the three days approaching our hunting dates are 90s. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm sure it's going to be humid. So, yeah, I'm going to go from negative uh, 10 and snowy here to 90. That'll be a 100 degree swing. And uh, it, it'll be a shock to say the least. So, First Light has new hot weather gear coming out. It's still a little ways out. So, I'm going to be using that. Now, that being said, I still am going to bring another set of clothes for in case it gets cold. Because the last time I hunted down there, I wasn't hunting, but I was uh, helping Steve film a show. We got down there. Didn't bring any clothes because we thought it was Florida who needs clothes for hunting turkeys down there. It was so cold. We were using socks for gloves and put and wrapping <laughs> socks around our necks for get neck gaiters. Nasty, wet, yes. like humid, cold. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, humidity is no good if it's cold or hot. No. Um, so I'm going to bring down snake boots for the Florida trip. In the, they're going to be hot, but it's you know, extra precaution. I know a lot of people don't run with it, but I figure why not? I can deal with some hot feet for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, clothing for Western hunting, it's going to be very similar to Western big game. It's going to be layers. You know, I like my wick base layer. Then I wear the Klamath fleece and then I have a sawtooth vest and that's enough just to keep my core warm enough 
Um, I might have a beanie in there uh, to throw on if I need to add a little extra warmth. That's enough to get me through that first hour. And what I like about the vest, I'm not a huge vest guy, but in this particular scenario, I really like it because when I take it off, it's small enough that I can roll it up, stick it in my turkey vest in the back pouch there, and I don't feel like I'm lugging around a big puffy jacket or, or, or something that just takes up a lot more room. Very important for me, I have a special pocket. It's actually a water bottle pocket that I usually use for my face mask and my lightweight pair of gloves. I just have a special pocket where that stuff always goes into. As soon as it hunts over, I'm taking it off. I'm putting it in there. You know, And that's why it's, it's just always there. It's always in my vest. And uh, so, so important because, uh, gosh, if I get, ever get caught with no face mask, I just feel like at 100 yards, they're going to look over there on the tree line and go, I see you. Yeah, glimmering <laughs> sign. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like for mountain hunting, like you're just wearing the same boots, just like clothing, like <clears throat> you're wearing the same boots that you're wearing for like elk and deer hunting and things. Um, are you a rubber boots guy? Uh, yeah, depends on the terrain. Obviously, out west is a lot more drier terrain. So it doesn't seem like I ever really need rubber boots here mm-hmm. unless I know for a fact I've got some little ditch or creek uh, to cross or maybe I'm going to access a spot by walking up. Like we've got a little spot that we hunt where we'll kind of park and then actually walk right along the bank of a river and sometimes even in the river to stay hidden and stay below the bank until we can get up to where we want to set up because we end up being real close to the roost in this spot. So something like that. But usually I'm wearing rubbers when I'm hunting the Midwest where it's a you know frosty, dewy morning. And again, I'm not walking far because I'm only I'm limited to whatever it might be, you know, 100 acres, a couple hundred acres, just not going to get that many miles in. And uh, not that you can't do it these days in rubber boots. They've, they've gotten so much better. But, uh, you know, they get sweaty compared to a mm-hmm. pair of leather boots. But again, I'd rather keep I'd rather be a little bit sweaty and keep those feet uh dry than get than get them just super soaked from the morning dew uh and, and the frost. So yeah, I, I do I do like rubbers in that uh in that sense. And they're so light now. Like those new uh what are they called? Arrow sport, I think. Arrow form, arrow Arrowhead sport, sport lacrosse. I think. A- yeah. Arrowhead sport, that's it. Um they're so light. Um, it's like walking around in a pair of Crocs, you know, except you got knee high boots on. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my boot setup. Sweet. One reason I like those late or those, uh, like rubber boots. is a lot of times I've got a set of those arrowhead sports coming that are like the, I think on, they say that they're for cold, they're insulated. They're supposed to be like for negative 50 to 40 degrees or something like that. Um, insulation wise is what they're supposed to be good for. And like, where we're at short distance walking in and then you're sitting in the morning. Like it just seems like those rubber boots keep your feet warmer, especially if they're insulated over like longer than insulated, even leather boots or something. So oh, that's I, my I, big I 100% draw agree. Cause those, those big lacrosses are like 1600 grams or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as long as you, as long as you can keep your feet from sweating too much on the way in, uh, it's not an issue at all. And if they do sweat up, all you got to do, and I do this often for tree stand hunting, whitetails, is I'll just bring an extra pair of socks. Like I'll go in wearing a thin pair of socks, 
I know they're going to get a little bit sweaty, damp in there. When I get to the tree stand, I just swap out my socks real quick and put on some nice thick wool socks and I'm snug as a bug up there. Love it. Heck yeah. Um, Another question we got a ton on. I put a little questionnaire out on Instagram to gather questions and one we got a lot of that I thought we'd just cover now is like what shells are you using for turkeys? Because you can really go crazy and spend a lot of money on turkey shells. Yep, 100%. And here's my take on it. When TSS first came out, a buddy of mine was actually starting to hand load them. And he was starting to do number nines in 20 gauge. And we were like, what? <laughs> that is crazy. But the more I learned about it, and when I, I learned that like a nine at, uh, has more energy at 100 yards than like a four lead at 50 or something like that, those numbers are off a little bit. It's an it's approximate, but they're, they're so dense, so heavy, so much energy. You, you get amazing penetration. It was like, okay, I'm going to go that route too. Well, he's like, sure, I'll load you up some. And then, and then I didn't have that hookup anymore. I had to go buy some. And I was like, holy moly, $50, yeah. you know, for a box? And now, I mean, I think, I think that you can, there's some federal TSS out there that if you go, you know, three and a half inches for a 12 gauge, you can be up to like 75 for a box. For five of them. Which is a lot. For five shots, which for hunting is not that big of a deal because usually you're going to shoot once, maybe twice, but it's the patterning <laughs> that, that like really starts to burn, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, I'll be very, I'll be very clear here. Transparent. I bought many boxes of TSS before we started working with federal and I started getting the stuff for free. Um, if I had to go back to paying for it, I probably still will. But I want to put it out there that if it's the difference for you of going hunting or not, if you can't afford it, go hunting with some cheaper stuff by all means. Absolutely. Um, I am going to, yeah, I'll probably shoot nines or the seven nine blend. Um, I'm shooting a new gun this year, Beretta A300. I'm going 20 gauge. My same mentor that was shooting those number nines, you know, 15 years ago, loading them up by hand. Uh, he's been shooting a, uh, I believe he shoots an M2 uh, Benelli with 20 gauge. And it's just with these new loads, it's all the gun you need to kill the turkey out to the same distances that you can do it with a 12 gauge. And what's nice about turkey hunting and carrying these 20 gauges is that, like I said, you're only shooting once. Normally, maybe twice a day, right? Most of the time, you're just carrying that gun around. Um, so why not carry around something that's mm-hmm. way easier to carry? Um, like I'm looking forward to when when somebody makes a 28 gauge turkey gun and and we start and, and 28 gauge uh, turkey shells are available. Obviously, the 410 is a big thing. I personally haven't done it yet. My kids, hopefully this year, are going to get into it and shoot turkeys with with a 410. But uh, anyways, yeah, I'm going 20. I'm going to mount the Venom red dot on it. Um, I'm going to have a specially made for TSS Carlson's turkey choke in there. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty sweet little setup. Sweet. Uh, One thing I wanted to ask you about is blinds. It's one thing you don't have in here, and a lot of people associate turkey hunting with a pop-up blind. Hmm. I own one. Uh, Robert Abernathy 
I think it's called the Doghouse by Ameristep. I bought it years ago. Yeah. I thought, man, this is gonna be the, this is gonna be the ticket for my kids to help them see the turkey show. But again, Montana, we're just covering so much ground. Sometimes you don't know exactly where they're gonna be. It's not like, oh yeah, they're in this field uh, six out of seven days of the week, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not that regular, and so I realize here at least it's hard to get into one because they're just getting bored and I'm not bringing the tablet or the, or letting them just sit there on the phone uh, while, while we're waiting out the the turkeys. So um, I personally have not spent much time in a blind. I think if I was more into shooting turkeys with a bow, I probably, I probably would be because, you know, you just need that more perfect setup, right? Have them come into decoys, Staying there long enough to, and then the blind gives you the cover to draw and get mm-hmm. a get a good shot off. Um, so yeah, I haven't used them much. Nothing against um, if you like using them, but but for me, every time I step into a blind, it happens every now and then. Deer hunting, it's like I just feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> yeah. Like it just seems like it it removes me from nature so much. Um, and again, look if it's like. Like I use it this year for deer hunting with my daughter because it was hovering around zero. We're hunting ridge tops in Wisconsin, and the wind's blowing. And sitting out in the elements was just going to cut our hunts way, way shorter. With with a full, we I don't I forget. My dad just brought me the blind. I can't tell you who made it, but the blind with a little Mister Buddy heater in there. And it took my daughter exactly five minutes to be back asleep once we would get into the blind, <laughs> which is fine. She's out there. She's doing it with me. If if she gets woken up with the sound of a gunshot, it's the way it is. Um, but it got us out there, and it was able. We were able to to, to stay out there in, in the in that situation in those weather conditions. So um, there, it's it's totally great. But if it's the if the weather's not nice, and all I have to do is conceal myself. I figure I can do just as good of a job just sitting still or getting up in a tree, even building just a brush blind because I just, I miss, it just seems like you're going to miss birds flying by or the sound of birds or, uh, you know, you just don't see 360 degrees out of those blinds and maybe something, you know, walks behind me at 50, 60 yards and you don't hear it because the windows are shut or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, so... In the right situation, if it's going to mean me staying out or not, I'm using one, but uh, I err on not sitting in a blind. Yeah, yeah, valid, man. Um, We use them a lot for, like, especially with the outfit and just the way that we run things, even with deer hunts. We use a lot of blinds. Um, We've gotten a lot of questions on blinds, and uh, so I think that I'll be doing some, like, I'll just be keep trying some more and be able to, like, kind of update people on that. Um, in short, over the last, oh man, seven years at least, I'm approaching maybe 10 now, it just seems like the double bulls, they, they're the ones that stick around the longest. Um, with like weather, we get hellacious winds that just like break poles and do all kinds of crazy shit with blinds. It just seems like the double bulls are the ones that um, I have, that I've had the longest. So I just wanted to toss that mm. out there. Um, I didn't want to completely leave people hanging um, with their questions that they they put in. 
So I think that that's a that's worth them to spend like a little bit of the extra money um, to go with something like that over you know something that could be a hundred dollars, hundred and fifty dollars cheaper. But uh, I am still going to keep like getting different blinds and trying to test them out and keep everybody updated as much as I can. But uh, yeah, good list. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I had to write it while I was packing for Florida, so hopefully that helped me. Make sure I have everything and don't forget something behind. Something mm-hmm. that's a, a good turkey vest item too, uh, I'd like to mention is how I carry water. I use a, a thing called a platypus bottle and it's basically like a collapsible plastic bottle. Um, but what's nice about it is it's not, it's not hard. So especially since it's against your back and a lot of times you're sitting down and leaning mm-hmm. against a tree, you're not that Nalgene or even like a... a plastic water bottle of any kind can sort of be uncomfortable and ca- cause just a pressure point where this platypus is sort of flatter and just kind of more flexible and um, tough. I mean, I've had one for probably coming on two decades that I, I wear, like I, I have it in my uh, ski jacket. Like I just ride around with half a liter of bottle and you need some water to drink. And uh, so they last and I've never busted one by leaning against it or anything. So it's, it fits into a turkey vest very nicely, um, and you don't have to worry about sitting against a tree and then having some hard water bottle pushing into your back as you're trying to work a bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good points. Um, as we wrap up here, I want to plug, you just had uh, a mountain lion episode come out. Yeah, that's right. Go check it out on Meteor's YouTube channel. Jake Gribb, who's been my main hunting mentor and Mingus's main hunt, uh, hound hunting mentor over the last three years. Uh, we go hunting Northwest Montana, looking mostly for lions. Uh, we luck out and find the track of a giant bobcat. Check out that episode and see how it all unfolds on YouTube. And then I think um, right on the heels, it's probably going to be out by this time. This episode airs is there's a Texas hog episode where I go archery hunting with Troy Fowler, who some of you know as the ranch fairy. Um, and so we kill some pigs and we necropsy some pigs to see what our arrows and, and broadheads did going through these uh, pigs. Very interesting stuff. Uh, definitely tune in to check that one out. Yeah, excited to watch it. Um, all right, sweet. Well, if you have any more questions, you can send them into geartalk at themeateater.com. You can get a hold of us on our Instagrams. Mine's jordan.bud. Yours is, uh, is it underscore Patelis? That's right. To be honest, underscore Patelis, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then as these episodes roll, you can go to themeateater.com and find the Gear Talk under the podcast show tab and click on the specific uh, episode you want to comment on, you scroll down to the bottom and comment on it. And we've been getting back to people and, uh, yeah, getting your questions answered and getting them written down to do future Q and a episodes. So with mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. I and what I, real- we'll, uh, what I realized the other day, what I realized the other day too, is that when you go to the page, like, like Jordan said, you go to the main meter website page, you go hit podcasts, you find gear talk. 
And then right at the top, it says gear talk. And then it says like the latest one is episode nine, DWR and gear cleaning. And then underneath that, you can click right there and it'll bring you down into the comment section. And uh, I found that's the easiest way to get right to the comments and uh, participate. So yeah, we appreciate everybody that does comment, that uh, sends in emails or DMs us. Uh, I apologize if I don't get back to your DMs as as fast as you like. Uh, There's a lot of them. Sweet. Well, thanks, Yanni. Good luck down in Florida. And uh, yeah. Thank you. See everybody on the next episode. That's right. Get out there and go hunting. See ya. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.